Welcome into another edition of the Duck Territory Podcast with Matt Prem, Eric Scopels across the way. Hey guys. Uh, we're going to talk about some basketball on this podcast. Uh, Oregon's currently 13 and 7, 3 and 4 in the Pac-12. Uh, we'll also talk about some Oregon football coaching hires, uh, and also possibly some stuff that goes, that went down last weekend, uh, for that UCLA weekend for Oregon football recruiting guys that were here, what we learned, uh, from that as well. So, Let's get into the beef of our podcast, and that's Oregon basketball. The Ducks split again. Uh, we, we kind of considered the last four games, you know, a huge opportunity for this basketball team. They led in all four games in the final four minutes yeah. and let two of those leads slip away. They almost did it again Gosh. against UCLA, but they pulled out a 94-91 victory to Improved to 13 and 7 overall, 3 and 4 in the Pac-12, but the UCLA win was good, was much needed, but I can't help but think back to the USC loss, and that may be a game that could decide Oregon getting in or getting out of the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I mean, you look at Oregon's resume right now, and it's not very favorable, and, and we won't spend a ton of time talking about this because we probably want to focus on the team more than what their NCAA prospectus is because I don't think it's very good. But they have had three losses that if they win those games, they're in, they're really, in. really, really good shape right now. If Boise State game, I don't know if people pay attention to Boise State. They're a top 30 RPI team right yep. now. They're you know probably going to be a 6, 7 seed type team, somewhere in that range. You look at the Arizona game, which they led by one point with four to go. You look at the USC game, which they led by five points with, I believe, four minutes to go. They had chances to win all three of those games. And then you look at UCLA, where they almost let, let it slip away. Something is going wrong in the end of these games. And I wrote about it a little bit on Tuesday on the site. Um, over the last four games, Oregon has led by a combined 21 points entering the final four minutes and has been outscored by 27. Not so good. That's not good. And and so they they've got an issue closing out games. And if you look at the numbers, they do not shoot the ball well. The opponents are shooting the lights out. Um, you know, you wonder what's going on there. But this is clearly something that needs to be rectified. And then, like we said, although they won on Saturday against UCLA, that was a game where they led by double digits for 30 minutes of the game, yeah. basically. And to have it come down to a possible Aaron Holiday half court shot to tie and force overtime was not optimal. I mean, you, you they. they that was a game where they had complete control for basically the entirety of it and for it to be even remotely close and for Peyton Pritchard and Elijah Brown to have to hit clutch free throws down the stretch, or Troy Brown actually, the game shouldn't have had to be that place. You know, they, they didn't, they shouldn't have been in a place where they had to make all six free throws in the last minute and a half. You know, they should have been in a place where they shouldn't have, usually shouldn't have been fouling because Oregon was up by so much. So, uh, like you said, I think you're, you have to be up, you know, you're excited because that was a win they had to have in the conference. If they were two and five, that would be a disaster. It would, you know, eliminate obviously any chance of winning the conference, which I think is you could pretty much discount at this point anyway. But you know, and it would completely dismantle the tournament hopes because this is a this is probably their second best win on the season, and to not have this one would have been brutal. Yeah, Oregon currently three and four in the Pac-12, and I think they're in like a three-way tie for seventh place right now. Um, and the thing here though is that there's an opportunity for this pre- this basketball team. To now collect a lot of wins mm-hmm. and to kind of slowly move up those Pac-12 standings because uh, this weekend we it seems like they they just played each other but uh, really weird they're playing the Oregon State at home on Saturday it's their only game this week yeah uh, you win that one you're now four and four in Pac-12 play I think the Beavers are ahead of the Ducks in the Pac-12 standings so that's one game that you make up that's one team that you make up ground on. 
Uh, and then you head down to the Bay Area next weekend, uh, and you play at California on Thursday. And then on Saturday, you have an afternoon game uh, against Stanford, who, while they've lost to Arizona by two points, I think they've shown that they're pretty legit, um, at least healthy-wise, when they're, yeah. when they're healthy. Absolutely. Um, and that's another team that's a couple games ahead of you. And, you know, while I don't think it's even close to being as automatic as it looked to be maybe three, four weeks ago, uh, for Oregon to get a sweep of the Bay Area, I think you still have a chance yeah. to go down there and win. And then you come back home and, and you play the Washington schools. And while Cal and Washington State are below you, they're you know they're games that you should win. Uh, and then there's the Huskies, a, a team I think that's 13 and five right now, and um, they're on that fringe of a tournament team. And while you, it's crazy to think that that's another decent win that you can tack onto your resume, and at the same time. Chalk up another victory into the win column to move yourself up, and you know I think for Oregon right now, Eric, the goal is to find yourself in fourth place, the second to last weekend of Pac-12 play, because you get the Arizona State, Arizona schools at home, and then you go up to the Washington schools, and I think if if you can get into a position where you're you're, you're fourth or fifth in the Pac-12 going into that weekend. You've got a chance to get into the NCAA tournament, and you've got a chance to have a, a decent run in the Pac-12 tournament. These next five games are going to be crucial. You just kind of outlined it. I think if they're able to go four and one in that stretch, and say probably lose to to Stanford down there, maybe they beat Stanford, but they lose to I don't know either Washington or Oregon State at home. Um, those seem like the more more likely that the games will have trouble with those three. Um, then you put yourself in a spot where you're seven and five coming down the home stretch, puts you in a decent position to. To be kind of like you said in that top four, top three spot in the in the conference, um, I think it's still going to be tough to get there because you just aren't seeing the consistency. And to be frank, I don't think you know in, over the last couple of years, Oregon has rolled through the conference. They've won yeah. a lot of games by twenty points. I don't think this team has the talent to do that. They were up on UCLA and they didn't close it, but I think they're going to play a lot of these tight games. They're going to play a lot of games that come down to the final four or five possessions and. With the way they seem to collectively have played over the last two weeks, all four games came down to the situations, and they were outscored in all four games. And they still won two of them, but they had nice cushions. I think they're up by eight against Arizona State, and they're up ten against UCLA with four to go, um, and won both of those games a lot closer than the, than they would have liked. I mean, both games, the opposing team had a kind of a shot at the end that if it goes down, it, it might force overtime or, or even a loss. So right. they, they they need to play these games much better down the stretch, especially when they hold these big leads because. The first two weekends of conference play, I think you saw them look like they were kind of lost. And it seems like they've found something for the first 36 minutes. They just can't carry it over to the last four. The Ducks have eight games against uh, teams who are either tied with them in the Pac-12 standings or ranked ahead of them uh, in the Pac-12 standings left to go. So there's mm-hmm. plenty of an opportunity to get up and help yourself off the floor and make up some ground on, on Pac-12 standings. Standpoint. I think there's three, maybe four teams that can make the NCAA tournament from the Pac-12, uh, unless a team goes wild in the Pac-12 tournament right. and, and gets the automatic bid. Um, but Oregon still has a chance. I think uh, it's it's the margin of error is getting slimmer. I think it's really thin. Um, but there's still plenty of opportunities to get there. Now, uh, one thing that I think we should talk about is we kind of talked about it when. Oregon opened up Pac-12 play, and uh, the first three games, Peyton Pritchard was not playing very well. 
I think the last four, it's safe to say we're seeing the Peyton Pritchard that we all kind of expected of him coming into this season. Uh, he scored 18 points in a win over Arizona State, has six assists and four rebounds and just one turnover. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played 39 minutes in that game. And then against Arizona, he scored 12 points, didn't turn it over, had seven assists, four steals, uh, four rebounds. And then against USC, again, 39 minutes, just like he did against the first two and 18, 7, and 4. I think he sat out five minutes in the last four games. Uh, last, crazy. Yeah, last four games he sat out five minutes. And uh, he has scored 18, 12, 18, and 25. He has just five turnovers and in the last four games. Like 25 assists, right? And his assists are at, uh, let me, you know, quick math here is 24 assists. Yeah. That's so, great. I mean, 6 to 1 almost misses turnover. He's yeah, he's much better. He's playing much better. He's got seven steals on top of that. You know, he's 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 become much more active on the defensive side of the, of the ball as well. Um I I think this is what's going to be needed of him every game moving forward is that uh he has to be able to to score, he has to be able to distribute and he has to be able to defend. And now what I think has helped this team too though is cuz I I think it's safe to say that They've gone two and two. They've let they've let two games get away from them at the end. Yeah. But overall, their play has been way much, better, way better, much better. Totally. Um, and a big reason for that is Mikael McIntosh. I totally, think. absolutely. I wrote about that. And one thing on Pritchard, I want to just notice that those last two weekends, he's probably played three of the top backcourts in the conference. UCLA has some great guards. Arizona State has some great guards. USC with McLaughlin and Stewart have some great guards. So that that also kind of adds to that. But yeah, McIntosh has been on a tear. And this was a guy. I think going into Pac-12 play, we kind of agreed that the grad transfers kind of hadn't lived up to what the expectation was. And Oregon kind of f- thought that with McIntosh and Brown, they could replace, maybe not in its entirety, but kind of that Brooks and Dorsey type of production. And they got, frankly, nowhere near that. And we're still seeing Elijah Brown be kind of inconsistent. He was two for nine and one for eight um, from three against UCLA. But McIntosh has been awesome the last four games. I think he's averaging 15 points, almost 10 rebounds. That was coming off a stretch where he was averaging like eight and five. So yeah. he's really stepped his game up. He's almost averaging a double double. Yeah, he's almost averaging a double double. And what I think, and you actually asked a question about this, but what we kind of noticed was that he has seemed to figure out kind of where he fits offensively. And I think for a while he was he was kind of hanging out in the three point line or kind of in a weird spot on the court. But it seems like now he when he's faced against a guy, and you saw this with UCLA a lot where they had. Uh, Gorgi Goleman or Alex Olashinsky. These guys have hard names to pronounce. <laughs> <laughs> but those, those bigger guys that frankly he has a speed and athleticism advantage of. He drives straight line on those guys. He can get to the basket and if, and they're either fouling him because they're out of position or he's just able to kind of jump stop and pivot and put up a nice kind of soft hook. He's really good at, I think, finishing around the rim is, with yeah. contact. Um, that he kind of creates. Yeah. Not necessarily, uh, you know, if he can get his defender up in the air, He's very good at, at drawing the foul and finishing, and uh, we saw that against UCLA at 18 points and 8 rebounds. Against USC, he had just 11 points and 10 rebounds, uh, but you know, against Arizona, he had 20.7 rebounds, 12 and 13 against Arizona State, and you know, it's you look at the games that you know, he, he's been, three of the last four games, he's 50% from the field, 37%, 50%, 46%. He's shooting... A, a good clip. I don't think he's taking as many three pointers as he used to be, uh, and he's getting to the free throw line at least the last three games. He's attempted 15 free throws, and, and he's made almost all. Of and them, he's right? made almost all of them. He's missed just one. Um, you know that's Oregon's bread and butter right there. They need to get McIntosh hard dribbles, straight line down yeah, the absolutely. down the key. 
Um, and then another one, I think that was really, or two guys that were really impressive, at least against UCLA. And, you know, maybe it's a hope that they've maybe figured things out in Pac-12 play is first it's VJ Bailey, Victor Bailey, the freshman off, off the bench. He scored 18 points and two assists, uh, against the Bruins. He was six of 10. He played 25 minutes. I think he played 15 in the first half, um, cause he was just hot and Elijah Brown picked up that technical foul. And then right. you look at Troy Brown and this is another guy, I think, uh, ha- kind of figured things out, and you know there is a. I, I was having a discussion on Twitter with people about Troy Brown's NBA potential, and it's a good question. I think he's. I think he's still a first round draft pick. I think he's still a guy that's probably going to go pro after this year. I know he's going to go pro uh, at this season, at least t- test the waters. I think you're smart too. Yeah, um, and then. Will he come back? That's the kind of the question. Will he sign an agent or not? That's what everyone wants to know. And I'm not, when I say I know, I'm not, you know, I don't know that for sure he's going. But it, it's fairly safe to say with the NBA rules yeah. that his, allow his, you to do his, it as many his times. profile, too, yeah. because he's a guy who was a top 20 recruit out of high school. You know, it, it, it makes too much sense. The fact that Tyler Dorsey, Dylan Brooks did it two years ago and mm-hmm. came back, you're going to see the exact same thing with Troy Brown and uh, against UCLA, though, he was everywhere. He had 17 points, 6 rebounds, 5 assists, 3 steals. That's the Troy Brown, I think, that we need to see out of him if Oregon's going to get to the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, the, the previous weekend down in the Arizona schools, the those seniors, I, I wrote about this, McIntosh and Brown scored, like, 42 points in one game and 45 in the next, and those freshmen, and I included Kenny Wooten and Keyjob in it, but they, they scored like 13 points and 11 points. Well, against UCLA, those freshmen scored 41 points, and that is what they're going to have to get. Maybe not consistently, but they need probably out of either the freshmen or the seniors, they need one of that group to come up and, and score 40-plus points to have much of a shot offensively. And and Brown and Bailey, I thought, were, were spectacular in terms of mixing up what they were doing. Um Bailey, in particular, driving to the basket is, is something he needs to do more of because he's so athletic. I mean, he had that reverse pivot kind of spin dribble in the lane that was just like, wow, didn't know he had that in him. He had a nice drive for a, 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 an assist to Kenny Wooten that was impressive. And Troy Brown, who's can do all sorts of fancy things. But those guys need to be more assertive going to the basket because, frankly, they're not that good at three-point shooters. I think they shot four for nine in that game, which is probably a little above what their percentages are. I know it is. But, you know, for the most part, their best stuff is when they're going to the basket, forcing the defense to collapse, or they can just finish it on their own. So more of that from those two would be a big help. And and Kenny Wooten played 22 minutes, which is, I think, the most he played in a couple of games because he'd had foul troubles. Uh, I think he only had one foul in that game. Didn't Wasn't maybe as active as he had been, but you also need contributions from him because, frankly, he is their best post player probably on almost both sides of the ball at this point. Shifting here towards this weekend's game, the Ducks play 11 and 8 Oregon State. They're also 3 and 4 in the Pac-12, but they've got the uh, tiebreaker because they've beaten uh, the Ducks already. And, and quite honestly, they've struggled since mm-hmm. uh, that Civil War game in Corvallis a couple weeks ago when they won 76-64. Uh, they lost by 9 to Arizona on the road. Uh, they lost by two points in a game where they should have won. Should have won. I think they were up 13 with eight minutes to go out of Arizona State. Sun Devils came back to win that one, 77 to 75. Against UCLA last Thursday, they won 69-63, and it was kind of back and forth the entire way. And then against USC, uh, they had that game. I think they had the lead with four minutes to go or so, and then USC kind of pulled away and got the the, the Northwest sweep. 
by beating the Ducks and the, the Beavers, and they, they beat OSU 74-67. to 67. And Side note, that was the first time since 2005, I think, that the USC has swept the Northwest schools. Wow. That's, which is kind of wild. That's wild. That, absolutely. It's, <laughs> considering well, how bad Oregon State has been. I mean, well, because it's because they had been Oregon forever, remember? Oh, right, Oregon right. had like 14 straight or whatever. Right. Uh, now, this is a team that, you know, obviously they beat Oregon originally. I think on paper, Oregon is a much better team. I would agree. You, you look at OSU's team, and it's... It's four guys that you really have to worry about and then just hope you don't have a career night from somebody else. And those four, though, are, are pretty talented. Tres Tinkle, Jr., big man, kind of inside and out guy, averages 18, 7, and 3. Stephen Thompson, the ju- junior, the, the junior guard, kind of assumed that point guard role for OSU this season. 16 points, 3 rebounds, 3 assists. Drew Eubanks can be a tough matchup for, for Kenny Wooten at 12 points and 6 rebounds and a couple blocks a game. And then... The five-star, Ethan Thompson, the freshman, averages nine points and four rebounds and three assists as well. So you look at this team, and it's it's four guys that you really have to kind of shift your focus on. And I think if you can limit those four, you you take whatever the other the rest of the team does because I don't think they're built for that those three or four or five other guys that OSU plays to kind of carry the team. Right, and, and my point would be, Unlike UCLA, where Oregon got up 18, I don't, and, and came back and almost won. I don't think Oregon State has that gear in them. I think they're 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 best off playing a game that is kind of nitty gritty in the half court, where if they get down 12 points, they don't have the offense really to come back right. in. So I think it, you know this is maybe a game where where Ole Miss challenges and hey, let's go out there and see if we can get a big lead because I think if we get a big lead, I don't know if Oregon State is going to be capable of of coming back and. And conversely, just like we talked about Oregon finishing games, Oregon State hasn't finished games very well either. So this could be one of those things where if it's a tight game late, who knows what the heck is going to happen. Um, I think, once again, what we saw in Corvallis was that Oregon State had a pretty strong advantage down low. Their big guys dominated on the glass. Their big guys scored a lot down low. I think they're going to have to – Oregon's going to have to try to negate that either with going small and forcing Oregon State to go small or by going big and having Wooten stay on the court instead of foul trouble, which he did not do up there. I think he fouled out that game. Um, and, and then having, whether it's Sorkin or Paul White, one of those guys step up and play a big role because Oregon State is bigger and stronger up front. They kind of play three, you know, traditional-ish big guys on the court at once. I think they throw in Berger there as their fifth guy. Yeah, for 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 this game, for the keys for the for the Ducks, I think it's I've said it before, but it's limiting Tinkle, Thompson, Eubanks, and Thompson. You want two of those guys to to have worse games than what they average. If you can limit two of them to having bad games, you know, and you you make them a two man team, you're you're more likely going to win. It's if they can get three or if they can get all four. To play at their average or, or to play above that average, uh, you're gonna you're gonna struggle. You're gonna find ways to you know get yourself in trouble because yeah. you, and you go back and you look at games uh, like at USC for instance. You know Tinkle and Thompson Jr. both had great games. 21 points from for Tinkle and Thompson had 16, but Ethan Thompson scored just eight. Drew Eubanks had five fouls and, and scored just four points mm-hmm. and. The guys that played in his place can't make up the production no. that that Eubanks brings. So it's, I, I think you make a great point about the size. It's it's seeing if you can get McIntosh to to get some five foul, you know, some some quick fouls on OSU's big guys. Uh, get maybe get Tinkle off the court if you can, uh, because if you can do that, then this Oregon State team drastically changes. Absolutely. 
Shifting here towards some football news real quick. We'll, we'll discuss some football stuff. Uh, two hires have been made by Mario Cristobal that we've been able to report. One has been officially announced. One of them has not. Uh, the first is Jim Mastro, running back coach from Washington State. Uh, Crystal Ball has, uh, has announced that Jim Mastro has now joined the staff. He's now actually out recruiting. Uh, he's actually made a couple scholarship offers now as, as well. Um, I think this is a, a good hire. And quite frankly, it's, it's one that, you know, I don't know if Pimpleton was a good coach or if Pimpleton wasn't a high-profile running back coach for Oregon last season because of the running backs that he had. You know, yeah. you, anyone could have, you know, basically, you know, any college coach with experience could have had the year that Oregon had running the ball with the running backs that they had, and Royce Freeman and Kanai Benoit, Tony Brooks James, and, and Darian Felix. Um, Mastro, I think, has a little bit more experience. He does. Yeah. He's much more connected on the West Coast, which is where Oregon's going to recruit, and he helps – in particular, an area that I think Oregon's going to be really heavy in, and that's the Bay Area. I think Mastro's got a good connection there. Uh, he actually recruited and got a commitment from Cyrus Abilakio, uh, Oregon's redshirting freshman running back, before he switched to Oregon. Um, so I think this is a hire that, you know, for all intents and purposes, is as good or an upgrade from what previously Oregon had. Yeah, I think you you probably do look at an upgrade, and I don't want to slight Pimpleton. No, absolutely but, but, not. Because Pimpleton was, was was a great guy to talk to and have a lot of respect for, for the work he did at Oregon. But you, know, you look at um, Mastro's resume, and he was he's won the uh, Football Scoops Running Back Coach of the Year Award when he was at Nevada about 10 years ago. And he was nominated, I think, two years ago up, at, up in Pullman at Washington State. So he is considered... You know, one of the premier running backs coaches. Also worth mentioning that if you haven't kind of read up on him, um, when he was at Nevada, he and Chris Alt, the head coach there, kind of formulated the pistol offense. So this is a guy who's who's not just a you know we can put guys through drills, but he can also kind of devise some things offensively and kind of maybe you know his impact will be a little greater in terms of how much he's involved with game planning or, or maybe kind of installing some different looks that. He brings over, you know, you kind of wonder about that. I know at Washington State you did see them use a little bit of that. I wouldn't be surprised to see some, some pistol out of, out of Oregon, especially with kind of, you know, the, the, the quality of backs that, that they have. I do think after, you know, losing Freeman and Bob Benoit, they still have a handful of guys that are going to be really good players. So maybe we'll see a little bit of that. So, you know, I think you, know, you look at him as a guy who, who is, is very experienced. He's very respected in the industry and who has probably more, more equipped to kind of help a young offensive coordinator in, in Marcus Arroyo. Not that he's you know needs that much help, but he doesn't have a lot of experience calling games. Now, the other one that hasn't been hired but we've been able to confirm is Court Dennison, the outside linebackers coach from Louisville. Uh, he's coming over to fill the same role as uh, possibly as well as adding special teams to his title. Um, this is a hire, quite honestly, is a big one mm-hmm. because Dennison is – a guy that's a, a really good recruiter. He's a guy that played at Washington and had a really good career there for the Huskies and has since then been on the fast track to becoming one of the hottest assistant coaches in the country from uh, a demand standpoint. He had multiple offers after the season. He chose to, to, to go to Oregon and work under Mario Cristobal. 24-7 Sports tabbed him one of the uh, 30 most impressive assistant coaches under the age of 30. I think he's like three or fourth, uh, in, in those pecking, in that ranking. 
and he's a guy that's going to bring a lot of connections, a lot of recruiting ties, and a lot of skill development for this football program. Yeah, and, and we talked about Mastro and kind of his background and his experience. Dennison's quite frankly kind of the opposite. I think Dennison was playing at Washington when Mastro was like being nominated for that running yeah. award because I think Dennison played like when 2012, I 2012, 2013. I was going to say he played when I was like in college and I think was led the Pac-12 in tackles in one of those years. So I mean, he's he's a guy that. I know Washington fans are familiar with and Oregon fans who, I mean, Washington wasn't quite as competitive then, but might, might not recognize the name, but certainly somebody, when you get those young guys who have reputations as recruiters, um, those, those guys, you know, those guys come and help a lot in the recruiting. And we, again, this happened so late in the 2018 cycle. The expectation for me, at least, is that it won't impact much this cycle, but 2019, 2020 and beyond, he's a guy that, obviously, you like to have kind of those young, enthusiastic recruiters and somebody that is so, you know, it's one thing to be a, Don Pelham, who's 55 years old, recruiting an 18-year-old. It's another thing to be 27, 28 years old, um, recruiting a 17 to 18-year-old. You just have a little bit more connection with them because of your age. Uh, one quick note. He actually played. I was wrong on, on, on the time frame. He played at, at Washington in 2011. That's what I thought. Yeah. Uh, and then at Louisville, he coached linebackers and was also the recruiting coordinator. So this is a move. Uh, you, you bring another guy that's young, experienced, at the same time, and has a lot of recruiting chops to his belt. Mm-hmm. Uh, that leaves Crystal Ball with two positions left to fill. Uh, that's because of the 10th assistant rule that's being added uh, on January 6th. So instead of Crystal Ball having one more hire, he now has two left. Alex Maribel, an offensive line coach from Marshall, is is one name we've heard a lot about uh, as a target. You know, to kind of help Crystal Ball coach the offensive line. And if you remember Maribel. Uh, coached under Crystal Ball at FIU a ways back when Crystal Ball was head coach. So there's a connection there. And that's kind of the theme with all these hires is that he's going after guys who have some kind of connection to his staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim Mastro's connection with, with Joe Salavea at Washington State. Yep. Uh, you look at Keith Hayward going out and getting Dante Williams, a guy he's spent time with at previous stops. Uh, along the trail, and then again last year, Hayward and Dennison, Hayward and Dennison at Louisville. Right. Um, Hayward came from Louisville for last season, and you know Dennison was there for a couple of years, so that you know Hayward knows Dennison really well. You know that's kind of the biggest thing to track here. If you're looking for tea leaves, it's you know find guys that are in some way connected to Mario Cristobal's staff, and that's you've got a good indicator of, of who he's looking at uh, for his last two positions. I, I would expect. Uh, one of them will be an offensive line coach, right. um, and then the other one probably will be a tight ends or maybe a, a full time special teams coach. Those are kind of the only two spots that are that are left. Marcus Arroyo coached tight ends last year by title, um, but Gilbertson, the GA, was kind of in charge from a day to day basis. I'm sure Arroyo helped off the field, but during practice times, Gilbertson was kind of in charge of that group. Maybe Gilbertson comes that guy. Um, we've seen offense. We've seen some of the GAs out on the recruiting trail. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe one of those guys gets elevated up, or uh, maybe a, a quality control assistant guy that Oregon has uh, also gets bumped up to a head coaching, I mean, to an assistant coaching position as well. So yeah. uh, overall, so far, I like the hires. Yeah, no, I think I think good hires so far, and I think it'll be interesting to see if they go after guys that are, you know, because you wonder from a budgetary. Constraint. If you're going, okay, we've, we've we've got some splash hires. I think you can agree. Williams and Mastro are, are two highly respected guys. Dennison, because he's so young, probably isn't going to hurt the pocketbook as much as the other guys. But do they go out and try to track down 
you know, an experienced offensive line coach, or do they go, look, Cristobal is an offensive line coach. He'll probably be in charge of that group. Let's go find an up-and-coming young guy who's a good recruiter who can kind of help with the day-to-day but won't be necessarily as big of a, an impact. And then let's go find a, a special teams coach guy to focus on that or, or maybe a tight ends coach and special teams coach. So it'll be interesting to see how they approach it. You have a lot of options. You can kind of creative with kind of how you want to plug in the holes here. But like you said, there aren't a lot of options really left. I mean, they've kind of got the whole defense of the side figured out unless they want to like hire somebody just to coach right. defensive ends or just to coach nose guards or something. They can't get much more creative than that. And then offensively, they've got, you know, the offensive line assistant coach, which for what we, you know, it sounds like probably Cristobal wants another guy to help him there in the net tight end position. That's going to do it for us here on the podcast. Uh, thanks for listening and find us on iTunes uh, by searching for the Duck Territory podcast. And until we talk to you next week, we'll, we will recap the Civil War game preview, the Bay Area trip, as well as we'll talk probably some more football, football recruiting. Uh, we'll talk to you then. Thanks, guys. See you guys.